Where is Dr. Beverly Crusher when you need her? Seriously. Oh, she's somewhere helicopter mothering a son that's a god. <laughs> oh, shit. I forgot about that. Right? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Went from sweater boy to warp man. I mean, if we could just arrange a small transporter accident. Like, I have a lot of transmask friends. <laughs> I'm understand the desire to use to sort of just rewire the transporter as a replicator please stop making barclays barkley you're in this is not an acceptable substitute for the holodeck privileges being revoked hi everybody welcome to gay space communism it's another very fast turnover episode i'm having an emergency in my local area uh-huh. Oh. That being said, it's stopped now. Everything's fine. Uh, and I'm very happy to join you. We got another like quick fire episode because we are still doing current events. Yeah, no, we're talking Afghanistan. Let's keep going. It's me. I'm Paul. With me as always are... I'm Rachel. I'm Amy. I'm Corey. And look at that distinguished guest. That's why we're all wearing our fancy dress uniforms, of course. The little buckles, you know, about the <laughs> Yeah, belt. I came in here yeah. not knowing I needed to get my tux pressed. And... Now oh, I here's okay. We'll replicate you up a fresh one, or would you like Garak to sew one directly onto your body? That's all. Yeah, let's do that. I don't know. It just makes you look like the star of the show. Six Hell to yeah. eight star dates later. All right, so we're back. Mm-hmm. Rachel, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, sure. Uh, so today we have Dick of the Left Flank Vets. Dick is a friend of Not Safe for Wonks, actually. It's where we sort of first got connected back when we were doing our ill-fated live stream. Y'all are great. I have nothing but support for y'all and agree with pretty much all of your political opinions. And you've always been great to work with and to have on. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I had a lot of fun streaming with you guys when we did. Uh, did any of our predictions come true that we made when we came oh, on? Oh, man. Remember? Did you say bad Maybe. shit was going to happen? Yeah, we. I think I might have said something about open warfare. Well, the big one about Biden doing nothing about Trump or the insurrection came true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah I, I remember predicting that like Andrew Yang was going to convert to Judaism in the middle of the New York uh, mayor <laughs> campaign. I would be so here for that. Orthodox. Make him go full on Orthodox. Yes, exactly. He needs one of the big hats. Like the the locks on the side, yeah, that would be that would have been awesome. He would have won if he had done that, I think, but he didn't, so that's why he lost. You got to court the Ashkenazi vote. Yeah, you got to, you got to. Mm-hmm. They they demand mm-hmm. it. You can't just like yeah. go into a bodanga and pick and like forget your bananas at the cash register and like act like Mr. Bean in every like political camp like commercial that you do and expect to win. But hey, if you'd converted, man, I was handed this card that said I support the party line on whatever it is you asked me. Why is everyone yelling? Yeah, don't yell at me. I'm right. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. Do you mean to tell me people can tell when a rich person is disingenuously pretending to engage with them for images and, you know, videos that they can later use for clout? I think that people, a lot of people will forgive that, but they won't do it when you're a fucking annoying ass nerd like Andrew Magnus, <laughs> you know? If you're just a incorrigible little worm that you can see wriggling all over the screen, people are just like, oh, no, I don't I don't think I can. This guy just makes me makes me cringe. Immediate cringe when I see his face on screen. He starts he starts talking. It's like, mm-hmm. oh no. All I can think about is the time that you were doing whippets with your guys when you were doing your presidential run and talking right. about your whole platform was Bitcoin. Like, what if electoralism but blockchain? Cool, man. Great, buddy. Let's go. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so I've long advocated for the social media echo chamber on the basis that no one's mind is truly changed in the comment section of anything. So like then like this benefits me as a consumer of my social media experience because I now block and mute people I don't want to hear from. Great. Mm -hmm. Like face like high school people, Facebook, whatever. That like mm -hmm. But it does speak to the issue of it really being that I do keep an eye, like mine's transparent. Like I do also like follow, like I hate watching like, I like variety of like uh, QAnon sort of journalism and people that are covering right wing antics so that I'm sort of vaguely aware of what my in-laws believe, for example. That being said, you don't have to do that. Like if you're in a consultancy class or above, like once you reach sort of C-suite contact levels in the universe, nobody ever gets to tell you, hey, that's dumb. We we all make fun of that behind your back and at work, where work happens downstairs. No, no one says that to any of them. And I feel like this is, I mean, this is an institutional problem that happens, I think, at every level of like where there's a leadership management gap. Well, I think that's how like social media is altering the way that, like you say, Twitter is not real life, right? Twitter isn't real life. It's dumb and pointless. And we all spend way too much time on there. or Many of us do. I know I do. But all like journalists are on there because they yes. don't have real jobs. They're all yeah. freelancers. Yes, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. So as recently as yesterday, I placed an unhoused person in housing with nothing but Twitter. So, you know, I, I don't think that it's necessarily strictly true that Twitter is never real life. Like, I, I think that it is a tool and as a tool, it is sort of value neutral. Um, I think there are things about the algorithm for how it gets like distributed that are inherently bad. Right. But like in terms of just having that kind of platform for communication, that part, I think, is value neutral. And I think it's what you make of it. Yeah, the best medical advice I've gotten about HRT and stuff mm -hmm. has been from Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Frankly. Like people connecting with me, getting in the DMs and saying, this is what my levels were when I was six months in. What's your levels? I'm on six milligrams. You're on four milligrams. Because doctors don't fucking know. Like the only reason I know that I was taking the wrong medication a month in was because I talked to people on social media, you know? The only reason I paid for the tests that I'm all pissed off about that we were talking about before we were recording was a freaking social media fundraiser. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think that um, social media is real life in the same way that parasocial relationships are just social relationships. Mm. Well, they have effects, right? Like a parasocial relationship is a cult of personality, but tamped down in some ways, right? Because you can't have a full-on cult because Cary Grant or whomever, like whichever star you think you know does not exist. But that means we're engaging with, I mean, this is to me, Guy Debord, right? Society of Spectacle. Everything you look at is a version of itself, a simulacre. It's a presentational variant on the theme of whatever it is. And this, I think ever since Vietnam and major war protests functioned, that is also the world that happens in, right? like protests cannot stop wars at this point because in part because we and we talked a little about this last time but yeah and i think that's going to be something you'll be it's huge in this is the public doesn't suffer we see a different version of the war than the war is yeah i mean like remember it when you were a kid and mtv played music videos and cnn was mostly patriot uh missile cam nose footage that's and yeah, that was that was the whole first Iraq war. And then we did it again. And then like, but now we've got drone, but we're kind of like aiming away from using the drone footage because it's a little spooky to watch a ring camera of someone else dying. Not if you put drowning pool music over it, then it's cool. All the war crimes are set to um, the 
Uh, Ren, please find and put the uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm music here as I stumble to find the reference. I was talking about Let the Bodies at the Floor. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, look, you can make the AMV you want of whatever footage you please. That is the beauty of the internet. We can all share them and compete. Right. I also, this is another tally in the Twitter's real life, like, column. So many people in Gaza were able to get word out because of Twitter. And I think, wasn't the Arab Spring, like, Twitter run? Very much so. Large-scale communication platforms, good. The way a lot of the monetization has worked and it sort of encourages people mm -hmm. to, like, yeah, really, if you're not consumed carefully and yeah. or consumed, like, just without scrutiny, mm -mm, you're going to get, yeah. you're going to have weird outcomes. Even right now, people in Afghanistan are using Twitter to coordinate resources for each other. You know, that they're using it to, to crowdfund. They're using it to like crowdfund Bitcoin, which apparently they could exchange pretty easily. Yeah, this whole argument that it's not real organizing is dumb. I've definitely used it for the, the same thing over the past few days to make some like yeah. connections with some people that I know here that are looking for people who are doing some of the, the evac work that's happening in Afghanistan. Like we had our a guy named uh, Arash Azizada on the stream the other night, and he's working, doing that work like 20 hours a, a day and doing interviews in the meantime. Wrote a- Mashallah. Yeah, writing a NYT uh, op-ed the other day, actually, got, got published in there and talking about how incredibly difficult it is. No, I, I think that like, Twitter is like any other large communications platform, like you said, Paul. You can make real-world connections on it that are important and impactful. I think the Twitter isn't real life and where it like is dangerous in that regard, or it's not dangerous. I'm sure it comical. has effects. It is something we need to we need to account for as a world. You know, yeah, with, with particularly with journalists, they're not used to being yelled at. Like you said, they are in their little bubbles where they're like, "I went to the right schools. You can't say that to me." I work 90 hours a week for free at this paper and have no other kinds of experience. And that's why I'm editor. And it's yeah, like, no, that's yeah. like, that's why you should have to be, you can't trustworthy. Like that, the TV writer. Yeah. Thing, yeah. Right? I did that right. shit digging ditches. Fucking sit down, Ivy League bastard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I've never worked a real job. Well, then you don't get to write about fucking how cooks are dying. Like, you have to, mm -hmm. yeah. How they need a labor shortage. All right. Well, you go fucking fry the fries. It sucks back there. It's hot. It's fucking a great. I love it, but it doesn't pay enough. Yeah. I wouldn't do, I can't do it for 12 to 15 an hour, which is all it all. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're offering 16 an hour. No, no. I saw the sign. It's 23. 16. No, it's 22 in Santa Fe. Wow. I could do that. I've pushed more plates than that restaurant can sit. I know how to, like, yeah, like I can bang out burritos. Let's fucking go. But I don't want to, it's, it's, look, I'm trying to do other shit right now. That being said, do it again. Yeah, it's a good work. But they have they don't do that. They haven't done that. They've done unpaid internships to get to there. And like yes. that, you know, those bubbles are built. As a segue, in as much as Twitter is sort of quasi real life, I do think it's important to recognize that like Twitter will never accomplish anything even remotely comparable to what, for example, salting Amazon could accomplish. Can you say salting Amazon? Salting? Yes. Yeah, so salting is uh, it's a rank and file socialist organizing strategy where you start getting socialists to specifically join workplaces and organize unions. And I'm not saying whether that is or is not currently happening, but if it were, I would be wildly in favor. They work there. It's their business whether they went, what their mm -hmm. purpose in working at a place is. You what know? makes you want to work here? I don't know. I'm going to lie to you, whatever it is, because like I don't dream of package handling or payment processing yeah. or whatever there is. In the, like, oh, how do you feel? What oh, I've always wanted to work at. That thing mm -hmm. I think shouldn't exist. Or, you know, 
another really great example of organizing a union in a hostile workplace. Y'all remember the time they unionized Quirks? Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. One of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. Imagine mm-hmm. to be the first Ferengi to read Marx. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> I don't it's know like if it just came it. out, though. Like, there's no, there's no references. It's like watching Star Trek, like out of nothing. Like when it first hits Alpha Centauri, and you're like, oh, it's thousands of years, like or whatever. You're like, oh, yeah. the waves, and like now you're watching. Like, oh, these humans are cute. That's fun. Um, I don't know. That sounds pretty confusing. <laughs> People love their childhoods. I was like, dude, childhood was confusing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends on how perceptive you are during childhood, because sometimes you're like, oh, you're like those realizations late at like, or when you're talking to other people, I'm like, oh, this isn't what I, re- oh no, now that I say all these words about what I was, like, what it was like growing up, I realize that's not what you're about to say, and then it isn't. I don't oh. Know. Yeah, it's like, oh, that wasn't normal. Oh. <laughs> like, you're yeah. making a face. Um, yeah. So we've kind of blown through our opening segment as we as as sometimes happens, but we have come to the conclusion that what we've been watching real recently is real life, which is because of the way that we have put together social media and just the world we live in, a form of spectacle and thus itself a sci-fi television program. Let's move forward to our primary discussion, which is and Corey, you wanted to talk about this because I will just say I want to talk about my thing, but I really am happy that you brought this up because it is one of my favorite premises of Star Trek. What if there was a war so bad that we didn't do wars anymore? more and it's this right. is one of the central theses of gene roddenberry go with it right well so obviously we're all watching the news unfold right now um last week we got together and talked about just uh watching everything that's unfolding in afghanistan i shared a little bit about a lot actually about my experiences working there as a contractor and uh shed some light on some things that a lot of people don't know about how how things actually worked in the war zone and how all of this that we're watching unfold is entirely predictable and was uh, actually well known to be the outcome that we could expect it, that all of the military commanders knew that this was what was going to happen. All the administration officials for the last three administrations knew this is what was going to happen. So anybody who's acting surprised right now, who has in any in members of Congress who have oversight, they knew this was going to happen. Yes. So yeah, everybody knew this was this was going to happen. And, and also anybody who was there, like, like uh, our guest today, Dick, was was there in Afghanistan, and I was there for a bit. We knew this was coming. So we're we're still continuing to watch that fallout. And uh, as as we are recording today, a few hours ago, there was a um, terrible twin bombing at the uh, the airport in Kabul, and quite a lot of people have been injured or killed. And so there's a lot of uh, a lot of developing situation going on right now. I think there's been a third as well. Oh, has there? Okay, I, th- I think so. I don't know if it's confirmed or not, but I, I read that. Yeah, so it's a developing situation. Um, a lot of details still coming out. Obviously, tons of chaos. And so, yeah, we're just just monitoring all of that. And it really underscores the central conversation that we wanted to have today, which we, we do want to talk some more about what's going on in Afghanistan and talk about like our experiences there and, and what we can share with you about that and how that's relevant to the future we're trying to build. But the central conceit of Star Trek is something that Paul has articulated many times on this program, which is that what if there was a war so bad we didn't do war anymore? And I think that Star Trek doesn't, I mean, they, they, they kind of concede that that premise doesn't hold up because there's an awful lot of war that happens in Trek. And so that's, uh, that's some of what we're going to talk about. Um, Dick, you have any thoughts you want to type in with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, 
You brought up, you made me think of something, Corey, when you were just talking about like anyone who, like every everyone who's pretending to be surprised right now by what's happened in Afghanistan. It's one giant surprise Pikachu meme that's happening all over Congress. Just, oh my goodness, I can't believe this, despite having access to literally all the information. I mean, we were talking about this on Left Flank. We've talked about this a lot about like why the Afghanistan papers, when those came out a few years ago and people were like, like, why isn't oh, right. this making Spoilers. a big- Spoilers. Yeah, spoiler right, alert. Right, right. The the Afghanistan spoiler spoiler alert should have been on the front of the Afghanistan papers. Because the Afghanistan papers, the whole thing was that like they are lying to you. I mean, the reason they were called the Afghanistan papers wasn't a coincidence that it shared the the you know the parallels with the Pentagon papers. It's an acronym, it's a different thing. It's fine. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're lying to you about the war. They're they're saying we're gonna turn a corner, we're gonna turn a corner, and they all know that's not the case, and they are all perpetuating it. Because they don't want to take the L. No one is willing to take the fucking L despite the fact that we lost this war over a decade ago. We lost it the moment we started it. War Games is the reference we should be looking for here. Yeah. What's what's that? The War Games, the Matthew Broderick vehicle. Oh, yes. The only winning move is not to play. Yes. Yes, exactly. The, that would have been the only the only winning move. I mean, I, I was a dumbass 21-year-old when I went to Afghanistan 11 years ago, and I could have told you then, like, oh, this is never going to work. This is never going to... I remember thinking, like, you would need to operate on, like, the timeline of the Roman Empire to, like, absorb this territory into your empire empire like you need 50 years and i need 50 brigades in like this one area to to lock it down and it would need to be settled like you'd have to do full-on imperialism to win they this war in quarries quotes. and roads and aqueducts and build a rome yes like all the way built they thought me handing out beanie babies on patrol was gonna was gonna win the war you know jeez and and you were a kid you were 21 Yes. Yeah. I mean, for, for reference, y'all, like at 21, I didn't know I was a girl. Yeah. Like, you don't know shit at 21. No. Like, no. you don't even yeah. know that alcohol kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. God, right? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, but I think that's by design. It's always been that way. We've always sent children to war. Yes. It's the reason it's called the infantry. I was in the infantry. <laughs> that's why it's yeah. called that. Yeah. They have the best knees and they're the dumbest. So they go do the brave thing rather than go, yeah. I'm not doing that yes well and like empathy doesn't fully develop until your mid-20s and even then it can still take a while after that right so we're sending people who literally are physically less capable of seeing a human being before they pull the trigger and it's just awful frat boys with heavy weapons that's okay but they do shoot the guns more i mean you have to give them that's not i'm sorry that was my that's my contractor voice that's my that's my (laughs) terrible pentagon guy Mm mm-hmm Well, you know, and the truth is they don't really need to shoot the guns even. They just need to keep buying them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's right there, Rachel, like what the war has been characterized for the past 10 years. Since since I came back, the war has been a proving ground and payday for every defense contractor you can name. $2 trillion to five, the top five defense contractors. Trillion with a fucking T to five companies, the top five yeah. defense contractors. Those are all the student loans. Yeah, and that's the key. Here, here's that's the key. Like you, you see these these figures being thrown around about how much the Afghanistan war actually cost us. You hear like uh, Biden talked about uh, how it cost us between one to two point three trillion dollars. Like first of all, it's a big fucking range. One trillion to two trillion is a really big fucking difference. We should maybe be able to narrow that down a little bit more. But second of all, that's not even the whole price tag because we know that two trillion was fu- in public funds were funneled to just those five defense contractors that was 
wasn't all specific to Afghanistan, but yes. a lot of it was. A lot of it was. And so if that's the case, then, I mean, I know just from being there, I was one of those defense contractors. I did work there. And like just knowing how the whole operation worked and how things, how money got allocated, of course it was more than that. We will never actually know the total amount of it, but it was definitely more than $2 trillion. On the bright side, money's not even real, so... Right. right. So, yeah. My, my favorite way to put these numbers in perspective is to say we're literally saying a trillion dollars, give or take a few mo- moonshots. Like right. that's that's exactly. the scale we're talking about here. Like a few, and then and then we're saying, oh yeah, and then there's a few more moonshots that you know just disappeared, and a few more moonshots in lost economic potential for our own citizens doing good work in our own country. Right. Like, imagine if we had put that money and even the same people, even the same amount of training into just building infrastructure. Yeah, that's the point I was about to make is like, if that's, you know, we're we're every time you hear them talk about and we've all said this, every one of us has said this in our, our own debates that, you know, we, we always talk about how are you going to pay for it when we're talking about spending money on things that we actually need, as opposed to spending money on war, which we always manage to find money for There's never a problem. Nobody's asking where that extra two trillion came from. We just had it. We just spent it. And then it's done. So if we can do that, we can do any damn thing we want. We can definitely have Green New Deal. everything. The beauty of that was that the parliamentarian said that you didn't have to put that one on budget. So it doesn't, nobody has to vote on it. So we just ring it up on the credit card. Not a big <laughs> deal. Like there was no, like, we don't have to make a, we just say, oh yeah, you're good. Get out there. Right. Yeah. So Dick, like uh, all this money got spent. You must've seen a ton of it. <laughs> right. Um, no, we're we're having this virtually and I can see this, the expansive atrium with all the marble <laughs> and the mirrors and like all of those sculptures of you standing naked, which are very, I mean, they're beautiful and I appreciate that. And I, the fountains are very nice. I don't know why, how you got salsa to pour out of them, but it's, it's wonderful. So I like, I, I guess all that went to you. Assigns my neighbor. So, oh, okay. really important question. Um, is it always erect? <laughs> <laughs> no there's a there's a button there's a button you wouldn't be able to get the grand piano through there if they were all erect all the time so you gotta... <laughs> that's that's to scale that's to scale you guys it's oh, wow wow so, my dms are open <laughs> having played lifestyles of the rich and famous exotic veterans yeah no so you probably got yeah you clearly did get a lot of that money yes yeah yeah yeah, like, uh, yeah, I'm even here in my in my Beverly Hills mansion. Me and Hassan live right next door to each other. He just about to, he's about to move in soon, so it's going to be awesome. And you must be getting a lot of support services and like backup for right? Well, that. I mean, like you joke, like obviously, I came back from Afghanistan, and I remember I had I was stoked because I had 30 G's in the bank. And I was like, I would be stoked at that. That seems pretty sweet. Right? Although, again, yeah, there's more to this story. Obviously, I couldn't. I couldn't spend any money when I was there. I was fucking. I had the first six months I was there. I had a total of, I think, ten showers. I counted. I was. I was like, because I was. We were out the whole time, getting our asses handed to us by the fucking Taliban. But like the scale of spending that you could see was jaw dropping. Like it reminded me. Remember the scene in Gladiator where Jaiman Hansu walks up to the Coliseum and he's like, I didn't know. Man 
man could build such things. <laughs> like, that's how I felt every time I was walking around Kandahar Air Force Base. Like, mm. and the way that capitalism is injected directly into the conflict. So, like, one of my worst days in Afghanistan was I got blown up. Oh, this is my, this is how my duck got his purple heart. Um, right, right oh. here. Um, <laughs> I, I got blown up. I got tossed across the truck. I got a little boo boo on my leg, but everyone else in the truck was not okay. Somebody, a friend of mine got killed. And then they evac'd me from the shit that was like 10, 15 miles north of Kandahar. They got, I got on a bird with a bunch of uh, Air Force PJs and they, they flew me back with their giant Gatling guns and they strapped me to a table and a team of doctors from all over the world were like, it's going to be okay. And like scanned my whole body to make sure that I didn't have any busted bones. And like, you know, they, they didn't check my brain too good though. That's probably when they should have done that. Oh. <laughs> but uh, then afterwards, like they're like, okay, you're good. We, you're you're going to be fine. You just got a little boo-boo on your leg. And me and my buddy, I remember too, oh, this is like, war is so fucking weird and absurd. But like they cut my clothes off when they brought me into the into the ICU because they strapped me down. And I was mad because it was like one pair of like pants that I still had that didn't have a hole ripped in the crotch or something. So they cut them off of me, you know, ripped my boots off and shit. And I had no clothes. So I get, they uh, had some donated clothes. And I had a Huey Lewis in the News t-shirt that I wore. <laughs> I had Hell no underwear. Fucking yeah. Yeah. I picked they it brought up. that around like, the first time. That was from the first, like, yeah. Right, right. So I had this Huey Lewis in the news t-shirt and they gave me these shorts. I had no underwear and these shorts were like very see-through in the sun. So I'm just, I'm just uh, swinging around, you know, as I, and in flip-flops. And I looked like me and my buddy both got evac at the same time. We looked like, remember in Pulp Fiction when John Travolta and, and Sam the Jackson. Wolf, and they're getting the hosing them down. They hand them the shorts. They look like they're a couple yeah, of doors. Yeah, after they blow the guy's head off, they got a that's what we looked like. We looked like we had just like uh, the wolf had just shown up and given us some new clothes. We we're walking around Kandahar Air Force Base after they released us from the hospital trying to figure out what the fuck we're going to do. And he's like, let's go get some food. And they had this thing called the boardwalk at Kandahar Air Force Base, which is exactly what it sounds like. They built a bunch of fucking wood planks like like you would at the fucking pier and there was fast food restaurants and shit island. There was a Tim Hortons and stuff and so we sat there and we ate some kebabs from a fast food restaurant and had a few donuts from Tim Hortons and we watched the German army play like floor hockey in the middle of the boardwalk. They had like a little sports area. And I remember sitting there thinking like I almost was killed an hour ago. Like my friend died and I'm sitting here in a Huey Lewis in the news t-shirt eating fast food watching the german army like like what is all this for what the fuck is happening you know and the weird thing would be every time you'd come back to that air that air force base everything would be moved and different as though like the entire structure of the roads and everything would change and there'd be new permanent structures that'd be torn down and built up and it was like it was obviously it was a money printing operation for these guys they were just like yeah oh we're gonna we're gonna build this and move that there and it was the staggering amount of money that was being spent was uncalculable and it's i mean that's where you're never we're never going to know how much was spent. Yeah. Any audit of the Pentagon would would reveal the. Oh, no, they like, said they can't do it. They already said they've said they don't have the receipts left. Yes, so yes. It's like, oh, we we just we don't even know how much money we've lost or thrown away or made from cocaine or whatever. We have to go. Their pocket change. We could have had fully automated gay space communism four times over. Yeah, we, exactly. e easily, but we can't yeah. afford that. Well, I mean, it's it's because it was never really about money and it was never even really about oil. It was about control, you know? It, it was about control and dominance and entitlement and patriarchy and white supremacy. And in a meaningful way, the Christian church. Yeah, I've always said you got to keep that kinky shit in the bedroom. I agree, especially the church part. I've just personally decided that the program to refigure all of the roads was actually a different experiment. 
Yeah. That that's like they're building the buildings intentionally, but they're like, okay, we could build them where we built the other. No. Yeah. Just make it as disorienting as possible to come to this place or back to it. We want to see what it does to them. Yeah. And of course, the real cost of this, you know, it's human life. It's the amount of trauma the people who were there experienced and will continue to experience through multiple generations of their children because that's how trauma works when it's that bad. Sometimes a person can get hurt badly enough that it takes two or three generations for them to be okay again of like children and grandchildren that just inherit this trauma that they get to process secondhand. That's that's the real cost of this, of the people there, of the people in, you know, all of the like global south who are being exploited to farm minerals and resources so that we can continue to make the bombs. It's it's that that's really the cost of it. Yet all anyone cares about is guys like me and my my Trump. Mm -hmm. like what, ha what happened to me is is front and center in the fucking conversation, which is the least. I mean, for all the like the I, I, I say all the time. The term boo boo. That's fantastically like, yes, I mean, humble in terms of like you have a purple heart and you call it a fucking boo boo, which I well, think is the purple I mean, heart is yeah. just as it's the zig when you should have zagged award. You just, yeah, you, well, you, yeah, I mean, I get that you almost got killed, but not quite. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, I've, yeah, it's a stupid little like consolation prize for getting a boo boo. Exactly. It's really, it's really fucking dumb. And like the thing that I always say about we, we say all of us at Left Flank Vets is like when it comes to like the war and shit in the military is like Afghan my deployment to Afghanistan, my year there took some things from me took a little bit of my sanity i lost some friends a year of my life but like for the people of afghanistan it takes everything my trauma or what i lost there is nothing in comparison to what the average afghan was losing every day for the 20 plus years that we're, we're continue to be there probably off and on have whenever it's politically convenient to go do a fucking drone strike or some shit after this point yeah hey hey it's always politically convenient to do a drone strike yeah that's the beauty of drone strikes we got into this a little bit last week too about like we we we've been centering like the media does this the media centers the experience of veterans and the the price that veterans have paid but there is the, the scale of the damage and the people that are affected is so much broader than than that definitely the number of afghan civilians that have been killed is grossly underreported how many have been injured is grossly underreported and then that's not even accounting for the incredible amount of trauma not just for the last 20 years that we've been occupying Afghanistan, but the 40 plus years that we've been militarily intervening in Afghanistan. I mean, yes. we have generations and generations of trauma that we've been inflicting on these people. And then I did talk a little bit also about, you know, something that is really very much invisible to the public. And that is that, you know, there's actually a lot of contractors have died in Afghanistan too. And not just American contractors, but we have subcontractors from all over the world. And those, a lot of those folks have gotten injured or killed and they don't ever get counted. They don't ever get reported that's and they go home with PTSD, they go home with life-altering injuries, and there is zero support system for them. Not any official support system, nor is there any uh, social support. Like there's no, there's no like uh, social like sensibility that this is a, a thing that we need to be concerned with, and especially folks that you know come from developing countries that were brought in for um, for really particularly cheap labor. Like those folks, they go home with nothing, literally nothing. Yeah, we had Indian and Filipino contractors working on working their fucking asses off 16 hours a day, like on all the, the bases that I was on in Afghanistan. Indian guys served our food and it was fucking good when I could get it. I was eating MREs most of the time I was there. But like back on the fob, there was a fucking omelet bar I could go to and a guy would make me an omelet to order when I was there. It was like going from like, yeah, like eating MREs and non bread, you know, that I could buy at the shop 
out in Kandahar and coming back and being like, oh, are we having snow crab legs tonight? Like the deadliest catch is on is on my plate here at the fog. And those Indian guys are working their asses off. Well, like I remember two, there was two Irish guys in charge of like platoons full of Indian guys that they would just abuse and yell at like all the time, like work harder and faster, like literal fucking slave drivers. They get like some white guys to fucking tell them what to do. And then the Filipino guys would build us, build us everything and anything we asked for. It were like a NASCAR pit crew that could put you up a fucking, a whole like uh, a living area or, or MWR in like a day. They were like in, insanely talented dudes who worked their fucking, in a hundred fucking 20 degree heat out there all day, every day, working their asses off. And uh, yeah, that was, those people, they're like slaves. Like they, those guys hold their passports and they say, you can't, if you get scared of the Taliban or the rockets or something coming in, you don't get to go home until your, your contract is up, dude. Yep. Like I had more ability to leave Afghanistan than they did probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and technically that was a thing that was, was not allowed. Uh, it was it, like officially, that was not something that they were allowed to do. Was, I, I know it was something that the, um, the prime contractors were always having to like police uh, over the, those kinds of abuses. It was literally trafficking in persons, but it still happened all the time. Absolutely. Both in Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, yeah, and it's, it's such a perfect microcosm of the U.S. empire and the way it interacts with the rest of the world and everybody else living everywhere else, you know, because it's like we just sort of barged in and set up a little like mini downtown area and enslaved everybody else and then, you know, passed fucking Sesta Fosta and made it, you know, illegal to be a prostitute because of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like a perfect, perfect encapsulation, I think. Well, we're we're wearing the hot dog suit the whole time, being like, "Yeah, yeah." Tell me the guy who did this. We're all looking for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dick, you said something there about the talents of uh, the contractors there that I want to speak to because it happens in this country too. You know, I've done a lot of manual labor jobs, a lot of you know, plumbing, landscaping, electrical, carpentry, etc. And empires thrive off exploiting the expertise of others. And, like, I feel like I have to say this carefully, but, like, you know, like, I was, like, 14 getting hired for an odd job, and it was hauling rocks up a hill to make this nice little rock work for this, of course, white dude, you know, (laughs) that wasn't from there. And let me tell you, none of the white guys could back that trailer into that driveway. I'm just gonna say it. I couldn't do it. I mean, I was 14, I couldn't drive, but, like, the boss couldn't do it, you know? Like, I'm just gonna say it. (laughs) And, like... You know, if it wasn't for, like, some really nice guys for per- from Peru, I would not know how to do my landscaping quickly. Yes. You know, they shot, they, they taught me how to run a wheelbarrow properly. And I'll load it up like it's full of whatever. You gotta, yeah, balance your load. Get it, get a load. Yeah, I love it. No, you, you throw that thing on its side. You tip it sideways into the gravel pile. You push the gravel into it. You don't do it a shovel at a time. Then when you get back to the retaining wall, you take two guys, you pick it up, and you dump it over the side of the wall. Not a shovel at a time. Freaking smart. <laughs> It's almost like people who do these things full time develop expertise in them. And perhaps those skills are high skill level skills. And actually, perhaps those people should just be compensated appropriately for their high skill labor. No, it's unskilled labor, Rachel. What are you talking about? That doesn't take any skill to figure out how to move the gravel in the most efficient way possible to make sure that the multi-million dollar contract that you're probably working on gets done on time. No, those aren't any skills. Like backing up that trailer. Come on. No one of them, none of them, those guys could do it because because of the you know the 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 different nodes they have in their brains you got to get the yeah, calipers right. out and measure and mm-hmm. make sure that there's there's a certain brain that is <laughs> it good it can't for just trailer. be really hard to do that 
Yeah, yeah. It yeah. can't right. just be really hard. Exactly. Yeah, like a big part of capitalism and the imperial project too is trying to convince you that your labor is less valuable and, and mm-hmm. because it's unskilled. And it's yeah. it, the only justification they have for it is, is telling you that I've defined it this way. Yeah, well, like unskilled labor in the United States is basically a rich white person looking at something going, yeah, I could probably do that. I make the spreadsheet that allocates the payroll, though. So I am obviously very important to the payroll allocation process. So that I clearly need to get paid a lot. Otherwise, yeah. we will do this. I tell you, y'all, I, I went to a gated community the other day and I needed to trim one tree branch from this couple's house. They went to open the gate in an antique and beautiful, pristine CRX, Honda CRX, like set up for racing, covered in bumper stickers. <laughs> This pristine antique, just covered in brand new bumper stickers. I climbed up a tree, I cut branches down, I fucked up my knee, I've been icing it for two days, and um, they thought it was really weird that I asked for 50 whole dollars and then another 40 to haul the freaking shit away. Mm-hmm. Like, 50 whole dollars, yeah, I climbed a goddamn tree, homegirl. Oh, I love haul it away. It's like, no, I'll just leave it here. You're gonna look at it for four weeks. I climbed a tree mm-hmm. one-handed with a saw in my other hand and sawed that branch down. You know, like, mm-hmm. can you well, do it's that? Like because, because you make it look easy, they assume it is easy, right? Yeah. Because these are not yeah. people who are particularly good at perspective taking. I got it done in a fucking hour because I know what I'm fucking doing. Mm-hmm. Right. We were talking about a war. We were talking about fucking Star Trek. So, I, I, all right. So, Nick, we have a kind of a list of episodes we were kicking around, and you jumped on one of my favorites and kind of the best one because it's also a segue. Watch this. Um, so taking the human cost <laughs> that's suffering out of the war process. What if we just did war and we all and the computer said your sector was bombed? We don't blow up the infrastructure, and you just go to the suicide booth. A taste of Armageddon. One twenty-four TOS. Kirk breaks their little war game and says no if you want to fight each other get in the get in there and punch them you're mm-hmm. ju- you're you have to do that and like them yeah, that was when you grabbed onto why yeah. why is that something for why yeah i mean it's a great up ep- it's a great story all that but what's for you yeah so i latched onto that episode i think i don't want to say before i ever went to afghanistan which makes sense because like the message of the whole episode is like as kirk like fucking drop kicks the suicide booths and is like stop just making hammer punch on the suicide yeah. Yeah, exactly just fucking yeah single hammer punch destroys a suicide booth or something like that. i can't remember how, what he does exactly but like swapped around some some clear plastic cards and a thing but ultimately yes, yeah, yes, it's exactly. very easy to disable this whole thing well, listen, white men built civilization and that had to be heavy. Yes. And as I remember, he also like, he found a hot, <laughs> he found a hottie. <laughs> Look, Rome wasn't built in a day, but it falls in one every time. When you have a really like empowered white man to bring it down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like Captain Kirk. and, and he's, upper body strength. he's always motivated by some poon too. There's like a hot piece there. He doesn't want to get in the suicide booth. He's like, I'm going to get me some. And this whole suicide. No way, dude. No, it's not happening. You're not getting in there. And he's like, you nerds made war into a fucking nerd thing. Fuck you. He's like, he himbos his way in there and kicks that shit down. And he's like, we're supposed to be ugly. You pussy like it's supposed to be mm-hmm. ugly and hard and that's what and maybe it would be over if you guys you know didn't puss out of the war but like yeah. and the reason i liked it was because i thought like oh that's true like only reason that wars end is because they're so ugly and stuff 
Well, nobody ever uses bayonets. It's like a thing that's kind of a, is apparent. Like, I mean, it may be a historical factoid, mm. but ultimately, yeah. like the story, that narrative, like people don't use bayonets because that sucks. Because you have to be like three feet away from the guy, and like you stab him with a stick with a knife, and that's ugly and horrible, <laughs> and you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Wesley get get bayoneted in the first episode of TNG? Mm-hmm. Does he Wesley? Yeah, when Q, is it when, remember when Q uh, makes the all Q the Q trials. The, oh yeah, Ooh. the French yeah. pigmen. The French pigmen kill you the know, whole if crew. He, did, he deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember him getting run through with a like a pigman French bayonet, like ah, and fucking uh, Picard being like no. But no, the yeah, reason that like yeah. it ties in perfectly with what you got the whole theme here is like obviously, what if a war was so bad that like it ended all wars and the show itself can't even do that because it needs it for like narrative purposes but like the wars that we're having now are removing those elements of horror and like hand-to-hand combat and like gore and shit now they're making them more distance through technology but they are also absorbing the horrific aspects of war like the, the the whole operator thing is being absorbed into the culture like they're like dudes who walk around dressed like they're in the fucking delta force and buying tomahawks you know because they dream they dream about like being there with chris kyle and lobbing heads off and shit like yeah. it's becoming it's it's fetishized it's not like kirk was wrong it's we figured out a way to to market the the rot in that sense like like we just gotta figure out how to sell it to people and that's how we've done it is like not only should you not be horrified by the 20 years of uh, in afghanistan or the global war on terror it's actually cool and good and you should we should keep mm-hmm. doing it forever you want to like valhalla is here bros let's go fucking kill everyone yeah wow so so that's that's super powerful and i wanted to like it reminds me of when you read letters from people writing home in world war one like that's how they thought about war then too it's like war is important for our culture to remain strong you know and like people thought like that and like we got away from that and now we're right back in it you know well, I think arguably people think that in, in some ways because it's you, you have to. I mean, otherwise, why am I doing this? But I don't I don't know. That's yeah, Corey. Yeah. yeah no, I, I just wanted to comment on you would think like being that we're in the information age, uh, you know, you were talking Dick, about you're talking about how like um, drones and, and machinery and, and things like that kind of remove us from the more gory aspects of war. But that's not the only part of it. There's other ways that we suppress the public's sensitivity to war. And one of the ways that we talked about last week is one by the use of contractors, because contractors are doing jobs that used to be done by troops. And so there's fewer people that are going to war. There's fewer families that are, are thinking about like, oh, my kid went off to war and this happened to them. And so that that's one way. But the media has a huge, huge role in this, because you would think here in the information age where the internet is so ubiquitous that even in 2005, when I was in Iraq, I had uh, no, actually, my first smartphone was actually like 2006. But I had like data services on my smartphone in 2006 in Baghdad. And so like, there is no reason why we shouldn't have ready access or information sharing and and media coverage and just public information availability of the actual horrors of our war. But they manufacture this narrative where it's always centering the glory. It's always centering the, oh, this, the noble sacrifice of the people that are waging the war. Oh, this terrible thing that happened. It, it just this particular framing. And we're seeing it happen right now today with this bombing that 
just happened at the Kabul airport. All you, you said it before, I think we started even recording, that all of the media and commentary and even social media commentary is, is concerned with how many Marines died there. As opposed to, like, there's last we heard was at least 60 dead, and the, many of them were children, they said. So, like, we're not seeing that. We're not hearing that narrative. And when I'm, when I, the, the 5, 10, 15 minutes that I turned on cable news just to get a glimpse of, like, what the hell was going on to get my brain around, like, what was happening, like, all of the pundits, it was just, like, literally a parade of people saying, like, see, this is why it was a mistake for us to leave. We should, we should be canceling the withdrawal. We need to be, you know, thinking about sending troops back in there. There was one guy on there that literally said, this is what happens when you surrender to terrorists. I, I, I mean, Christ. the media is literally framing this so that it's all from our perspective. It's, it's just, it's malpractice, honestly. And it's the reason why the public is so uninformed. It's just another way for us to remove ourselves from the reality of war. But I mean, I think it would also be a mistake to talk about the media bias without talking about the fact that the media is owned by like three people. Well, yeah. And I think it's really worth mentioning, like, these things are happening in synchrony, right? Like, the media exists to justify the state, exists to pay the media, exists to justify the state. Like, and the state itself is not a thing that happens in legislation. A state is a thing that happens when a cop beats the shit out of you for saying no to the state, right? That is the nature of the machine itself. So, like, yeah, of course they have people who are over the barrel, who are forced to say whatever the fuck who are forced to center the people who are in favor of the war because the people with the money own the story, right? And we see all the time in organizing, like, and talk all the time in organizing about how important it is to control the narrative, right? And it's because yeah. they're out to make everything look, like, exactly the way the boss wants it to. And I'll tell you, this consent was 100% manufactured. Mm-hmm. I went to D.C. I paid my own ticket to go there when I was, uh, I don't know, I must have been about 12, something like that. But we were, you know, we were in Afghanistan about to go to Iraq and, you know, the people did not want it. Me and my buddy climbed a tree and we could not see to the end of the people that did not want this, you know. Biggest anti-war protests in history happened prior to the invasion of Iraq and they were against the idea of doing just that literally could not see the end of the people like you think that scene from forrest gump is inspiring you should have been there to climb a tree that day from fucking the lincoln memorial all the way down down every side street up every road every american i could think of was there saying fucking don't do this again so yeah. you know 20 years later you know consent has been manufactured very thoroughly well, and if you show up and tell them no, now they just tear gas you and say that your Black Lives Matter and a terrorist group, right? Like They have all the hand-me-downs from 10 years ago to sort of use on you now. And ultimately, yeah, they've used the contract between the contractor system, which I what was just like not shocking because I know how things work, but like the gig economy, like, oh, you brought up over a bunch of American contractors. But then we found a bunch of people to work for dollars a day. Also, can you like, oh, you built the whole stratified economy just right there, just dropped it on in. And like, okay, this is everywhere. Like, yeah, you just brought the workplace to here and made it horrible. And like, you don't care whether we want it or not, because it's off the books so the legislators don't have to hear about it we don't care because i didn't have to go no one has to go right like it is not conscription is sort of things that we were talking about last week that contracting saves the military and now it doesn't even matter i just don't have to point the camera at the protest and then it doesn't show up like there's not enough news there what there is no walter yeah. or, or whatever whoever 
I mean, right. Like uh, Cronkite saying the war is unwinnable. There is not that. That moment never happened. That won't come up because there's just too many fucking heads now. And nobody trusts yeah. half of them. And rightly so, because a bunch of them are telling you also about Britney Spears, which not Britney Spears. Try a different, more trivial news story uh, pop star. Right. But you get the idea. But there's no there's no media coverage of all the wedding halls that we bombed. I mean, like occasionally it'll get mentioned, but they don't. We don't do body counts. Like, well, maybe you should just tell me that. how many. Like, are you getting your money's worth for the bombs that you don't know how to pay for? Like, <laughs> well, that's that's part of like to tie it to the Star Trek thing. Like the Thank way God. that we've incorporated some of the themes of that episode are like we've manufactured. You're gonna consent. go to Tim Hortons. That's madness. There shouldn't be a Tim Horton. It's a war zone. Like, there's a scene in Apocalypse Now, right? It's the Charlie Don't Surf setup where he's like, oh, yeah, he brings everyone beers and they yes. serve. Like, this is worse because we shouldn't have this. We're just, we yes. should be at war. Like, we're yes. hanging. This isn't. It, be this it be began. Fun. It began then. But, like, well, the thing Starship about. Troopers, if you'd like a more sci fi reference, also. <laughs> it began then. But, like, the thing that, like, during Nam, you could take pictures of the fucking caskets, right? Like, now we're not allowed to do that anymore. Like, they literally just, to manufacture consent, they made rules against showing you the horrifying aspects that might yeah. actually be politically affecting and not only that but like the best thing that ever happened to the war machine was when they figured out if they embed the journalists they will be even more sympathetic to the troops and be like well they had to murder that whole village you know they were scared i was scared too i was right there with them you know i mean there was mistakes happen watching geraldo growing up and then seeing him quake in fear as people were shooting at him was fucking cool i would love to <laughs> see more old like you know washed up daytime talk show hosts forced to just go to war and be watched and not be given like a, i mean you know this is sort of the give trump twitter and jail time idea but mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah no there's some people i would like to see do that but you're absolutely right that's that's what it does it makes you beholden to getting yeah these are heroes now because they saved your life all the time which yeah good call to quote another piece of media there i don't know if you guys have seen it but like what's most emblematic of that dynamic i'd say is uh generation kill the HBO series. It's very, very good. And I'd say it's like on par with like Verhoeven Starship Troopers in terms of like the lens that it shows you the, the war through, which is uniquely the one embedded reporter guy who is making up all kinds of excuses as to why they just keep murdering civilians. For the record, the novel Starship Troopers was also satire on a Verhoeven level. People oh, really? just didn't get it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Heinlein was trying, like, was screaming at you. The main character is an idiot. The main <laughs> character is an idiot. Verhoeven got it. And Frank Herbert made Osama bin Laden in space. And we're going to watch another movie where that's a handsome white guy. That being said, though, what? So there are other aspects to Star Trek that sort of that are that are in play here, right? Like, where do you get your soldiers? There's a couple of options. You can give a bunch of guys a bunch of genetic enhancements and make you a con. You can hire some Klingons. Uh, that's usually smart. Don't hire Ferengi, but maybe and don't get actually don't go to them for anything. Uh, Machiavelli writes about mercenaries and sort of that kind of thing. But I think uh, let's just keeping with that. Machiavelli would definitely love the Jem'Hadar. You just manufacture your own. Just genetically engineer them and they're addicted to a substance you man you create. And they're biologically loyal to the administrator class that you also, you know, the Pete Buttigieg is uh -huh. in your John Ossoff's it. The jar guys. It would be jar. terrible. It would, oh, we, it would, oh no, it's it not like terrible. this is happening. 
if your boss controlled your health care, that would suck, right? Mm, dang. Um, but that being said, there are also, I mean, there's openings in this in that front, right? Uh, so there's uh, Deep Space 962, Rocks and Shoals. They crash land on a planet with the Gem Hadar, and they only have one dose of Ketracel White, and the, the Vorta is trying to give himself up, but they only have enough ship for him. And they're like, oh, well, here, I'll just have him wander into this box canyon. They're like, dude, y'all, Gem Hadar, do not walk into this box canyon. We'll figure it out. Why don't y'all just come over here and we and they're like, no, no, we're loyal to this monster and we're going to wander in, get murdered. And the smiling guy is going to show up and be like, hey, I feel better. But I mean, they were manufactured to be, right? Sure, but they are conflicted on it, right? He decides it's who he is, what he is. Like the Jem'Hadar soldier makes a choice. And uh, that is uh, replicated with uh, also in Hippocratic Oath, you have rebel Jem'Hadar who are like, I don't want to do this. I quit. Can you help me replicate fucking mm -hmm. Ketracel White? Give me that good, good. Can you make my protein pre-workout slurry? Are you sure you have all the protein, <laughs> all the powders? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have a question about the Jem'Hadar. So a lot of the exploration about war in the Trek universe, it's done through the lens of, because you know, they always say like, oh, we're explorers, we're peaceful, we're, we're, um, our weapons are only for defense purposes. And so a lot yeah. of the- yeah, You the, watch those people who say that. Right. When you think about it, Afghanistan was a defensive war. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of the wars that get introduced in, in the story are told from the perspective of somebody else started some shit and so we got to go like defend ourselves and finish it. But so, you know, Jem'Hadar, genetically engineered super soldiers, obviously uh, in the Star Trek timeline, we had the eugenics wars and we at some point decided, humans I should say, decided that, you know, genetically engineering is not good and does not lead to good outcomes for us. But do you think if given the choice that Star fleet would do their own Jim Hadar. Would they go that route? I'm curious to hear what you think, Dick. Yeah, I mean, they kind of, I mean, the modern movies kind of explore that, right? Like, mm -hmm. with, isn't like, like every one of the new Star Trek movies is like Starfleet's dirty little secrets are coming back to haunt them, you know? Like, like, you're Benedict speaking of the Kelvin heresy. Of the what? <laughs> The, the or he could heresy. just be referring to the most recent Star Trek films like Nemesis and Insurrection, which do have significant bad morals and bad morals. Like the idea of a bad moral has been floated. And yeah, yeah, like all the problems in Starfleet are definitely caused by shitty guys with fucking belt buckles. But please, go, yeah. <laughs> yeah you've, is... got, you've got Robocop, who's a bad guy in one of them. You've got Idris Elba, who's another. They're all like the most militarist. They're like, well, what you need is now, now Captain Kirk is Chris Pine. He He's still a himbo, but he like he likes science. And don't worry, he's like a lib. He's not as he's not as psycho as as like Shatner was, you know. And he's sensitive, so when he does stupid, abusive shit, it's forgivable. Yes, yes, See, it's unlike cute, Kirk, quirky. he's only a fuck boy and not just you know literally colonizing. True, true. Yes. Okay, yes. I was subtweeting. Rachel tweeted. <laughs> 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 yes, Curse Pine is fuckboy Kirk, and he's like, <laughs> well, these militaristic dudes are bad, you know? And so, like, this this is, in the modern era, the way that we digest these things, I think, and Star Trek is perfectly emblematic of it, is like, there are good deep state actors within these horrific institutions that are acting against the bad apples, you know, that are attempting to use them for evil. It's not the institution itself that is bad. It is bad when it is overtaken and corrupted by corrupt, powerful individuals. And all you need is to make sure that there's those idealistic fuckboys out there to, to take them down, you know? <laughs> Or, or how about Picard? Like, you know, oh, the Romulans are actually okay because a secret cabal of women is in charge. 
Oh yeah. You're it's right. a cabal of girl bosses. Thank you. Hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> Romulan girl boss queens. No, the uh the doesn't Picard also discover isn't there like a whole fucking storyline in TNG where he uncovers that there's like a secret cabal of Starfleet officers and then they just kind of drop that thread and don't touch it anymore? Oh no, they never drop it. It's fucking canon. Like Star Trek is being guided <laughs> by section fucking 31 and like yeah, it's the deep state. Well, so, so Section 31 isn't actually, I don't think Section 31 is actually introduced until Deep Space Nine. I think you're referring to the storyline where there's like that alien bug that crawls into the brains of some of the, the Starfleet yes. leadership. Yes. Fun fact. Fun fact. That is almost verbatim a Heinlein novel. It has a lot of similarities yeah. to the Body Snatchers, but the Puppet Masters actually has slugs on the backs of people's necks. Yeah. You're going to find a yeah. lot of stolen materials if you look too hard <laughs> at any given package of television scripts from this era. But, yeah. Right. But since Section 31 came up, though, I, I, I think personally, the question of would Starfleet ever do insert bad thing that their quote unquote enemies are doing, I think the existence of Section 31 says the yes that they would. If the right people had the influence, uh, or I, the wrong people, if you prefer, if certain individuals had uh, certain positions of influence and an opportunity presented itself, I definitely think that Starfleet is capable of any of those bad things. Yes. And this is what I think the mirror universe really is, right? It's just, what is Starfleet when the conditions are worse? Yeah. You know, yeah. what is Starfleet when it's a little more desperate? Like, I think it was Revolution's podcast or something that, or no, it was actually a Dan Carlin quote, I think. I'm warning, Dan Carlin quote. But like, uh, the only reason Russians didn't strap explosives to dogs and run them over German tanks was that they didn't need to. Just like, and I think that the truth is like the only reason that didn't happen on any side is because it never got that desperate. You know, people will desperately hurt each other more and more and more. It seems like. Well, you can tell the conditions are worse because they definitely lack razor blades in the, in the mirror <laughs> universe. That's why they have all the facial hair, the evil mustaches and such. You know, history is dictated by material conditions. But it takes more luxury to have a small amount of facial hair than to have all the facial hair. True, true. So it's a warrior class. But also, also the women only have half as many clothes in the mirror universe. So that's the other reason, you know, things are worse off. Oh, yeah. So they're saving on beard care by eliminating clothing. <laughs> so many sashes, though. Those gold sashes. Bad guy. I mean, I don't know. I feel like Takovma said it best. To lock arms against those whose fatal greeting is, we come in peace. Like the Klingons noticed. They saw it. Oh, they would show up and then I'm like, just put on their little outfits and like act like them and do their thing. Like, no, we're us. We need to unite the 24 houses and bite these people who are definitely just going to show up and make us wear onesies. Like, I'm not going to get to wear my cool armor anymore. I'll have mm -hmm. to wear a onesie. Worf is an assimilationist. Well, he's the last true Klingon, though, because he's the only one who was raised only with the idea. Nah, everyone man. else everyone else nah. got all, like, backstabby and does not have, like, there's not a lot of honor floating around the Klingon High Council circuit his era. <laughs> Esri Dax is right. It's, she's, yeah. And, uh, Corey, you pointed this, you point this out. The guy, Esri Dax points out and says, like, oh, no, y'all's empire probably deserves to fall down. And then Worf mm -hmm. does a coup, um, which mm -hmm. is its own thing, because it's well easy. Because he's a based king. Well, it's real easy to do. <laughs> and then he's cucked by his friend but like yeah, he, talk, he, yeah. he likes it total chad i just i just really hope a chad will just come in and fix everything chad fuck boy that's what we need in the white house <laughs> god to bring us gay space communism does that mean we need to elect pete Buttigieg? no no, no god no. <laughs> no. he wants to hold hands or whatever no 
<laughs> not a, that's not a fuck boy. Have you never seen? You've seen a few. I know you know what a fuck boy looks no, like. You Pete Buttigieg said on national television that he wished he wasn't gay in front of Chastin. That was so that's fucked his up. Fuck boy moves, dude. He's a fuck boy. <laughs> no, no, that there's no way. He He's sure like, did. Uh, he said that if he could be straight, he would be in front of his husband. I mean, no, he no, he did, but that's not a fuck boy move. That's just a plain old hateful spouse move. This this is actually super hopeful for me because you know, like, if somebody's that like into degradation, like maybe they'll be into me stepping on their dick, which is <laughs> something I really am trying to get into. <laughs> Pete, go. It never occurred to me that it could have been consensual kink. I mean, DMs are open. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, Vorta aside. Yeah, there's difficulties with reconciling all this, but it's actually no. It's a perfect lens for us. It's a wildly incoherent war machine masquerading as a liberatory enterprise. That being mm. said, there's still something to be had here. I mean, they're still worthy and worthwhile. I think, but one we could talk about where the where the Starfleet gets it right. Okay, they got a lot of admirals, but when Picard is at Wolf three five nine and is doing the murder to everyone they're like hey maybe you shouldn't show up to the future borg events and then they get to go back in time which is good that is a good that is the right call that is not calling every guy who said this was a cool idea on television to tell you why it was a bad idea to leave that is and like i'm giving it to starfleet on this one just because we get so few on this front so i just started of throw it back in, into today that's been i know Corey, you've been kind of keeping an eye on that but that's everybody right or yeah yeah, I know the people that literally like BBC just happened to be the channel that I pulled up earlier, but it, it could have been in, literally any of them. It was just a parade of people who were in favor of the war to begin with, were mad that we were leaving and talking about what a disaster this has been and what a mistake it is that we, we left and like listing the bases that we should have kept in a permanent troop presence, like just nuts, just a, a just a parade of people saying like, this is bad and we shouldn't be leaving and we should be going back actually. And that's why like somebody pointed this out. I, I think it might have been Ken Klippenstein. I'm not sure. But somebody pointed out that like 63% of Americans are still today in favor of ending the war in Afghanistan. But Biden only has 25% approval for the decision to have withdraw. That's because of this media which bullshit. Didn't make. Which wasn't Ultimately, even his decision. Exactly. He didn't stick right. to it, but like he, he didn't do this. He he did do what, you know, and, and that I gave him credit for this. He did do what, what Dick was saying at the top is like, nobody wanted to take the L. And he, he said, okay, I'll, I'm going to take the L. You know, I got to give him credit for that. You have to hand it to him for being willing to take the L. Because Trump didn't have the balls to do that. He's making a sign for Llama Land, oh, yeah. which so he needs a lot of those. <laughs> No, but Trump didn't want to take the L. He made the deal with the possibility that he wasn't going to be in office anymore. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, he so. set up like a time bomb to go off in case he lost and it worked. <laughs> like, And it worked. Pretty exactly. shrewd maneuver there. And like he knows that Biden could like alter the deal, you know, if he wanted to. But Biden's like, hell no, man, I've been a loser my whole life. I'm going to fucking I'm going to lose now. I'm going to take this L. And you got to hand it to him. What you don't have to hand it to him for is like everyone and their fucking mother is an armchair general now. Like you said, especially in the media is like, well, here's what you should have done. This is how you like have security at these bases and stuff. And you you. 
you make a tactical withdrawal in this manner, like people who never fired a fucking shot in anger in their life or have been just chomping at the bit to go to war with never saw a war they didn't like and never saw a fucking bomb they didn't want to drop immediately. So this is kind of like the, the managerial class, which is telling you that this should have been just better managed. And the only way that I would agree with him about that is that the, the colossal fuck up was not creating an expedited process for refugees as we pulled out. Like, that's the only critique that I have to offer because this tragedy that happened today, the massive bombing, was because in the absence of a plan to evacuate refugees, Biden decided, rightfully so, once the ship fell down and didn't plan to do that ahead of time, the international airport is going to have to be the Alamo where we do this so I don't have to look bad. I'm taking the L already. Let me bring in as many refugees as I can so it doesn't look as bad as it does on TV. But like, society the spectacle, it took over as this this giant spectacle of how many gates were open at Kabul and 24-7 media coverage for a media apparatus that gave a total of five minutes of coverage to Afghanistan in all of 2020. Yeah, I got something to say about that too, about the about the refugee situation. So like, there's been like, I don't know how you feel about this, Dick, but like, it has been just bothering the shit out of me that all of the focus has been on like, we got to get out just the interpreters, yeah. like as if they're the only asylum seekers that matter. I first of all, there, as you well know, because you were on bases in Afghanistan, there were way more Afghans who worked for the US military than just interpreters. There were yes. tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands more that did all kinds of jobs and their families were targeted too and they were also targets for violence and they're still in danger as well but also just regular afghans who didn't work for the war machine who want to have asylum like we owe that to them we Mm -hmm. fucked their country up for 40 years and we should be welcoming anybody that's seeking asylum in my view but the thing that i wanted to say is that even that yeah we can say like you know biden administration didn't effectively plan enough for that but that also was a ticking time bomb because that siv process was approved by congress back in 2000 eight for Iraq and Afghan interpreters. And they made the process so ridiculous, so impossible to clear that this process that's supposed to take, they, they say up to nine months. I haven't heard of one yet that took less than three years. The average, I think, is like five to six years to get these these special immigrant visas processed. And that's, again, only for this very specific group of people, the interpreters, not all the other people that really ought to be eligible for asylum claims as well. So this is a problem that has been more than 10 years in the making where we have created an artificial backlog with obstacles that didn't need to exist to make this onerous process. It was impossible to clear. So we created this artificial barrier and drug our heels this entire time. Congress didn't do shit about it. They're the ones that created the rules in the first place. Congress didn't do shit about it to expedite it. Everybody's been screaming for years about how we needed to speed this process up. Nobody in the Pentagon sped the process up. Nobody in the State Department sped the process up. Nobody in any of the three administrations subsequent to Bush have have sped this process up. So it's, again, not like it's a surprise. This is the natural and expected outcome of decades of dumb policy. And this is like, 2008 is like, even I knew that there was a major refugee crisis with the people that were cooperating with the U.S. government in Afghanistan. Like, even I had a vague awareness that this was a problem we were not addressing. 
Well, and I think, like, the reason for this is if they actually took all the refugees, they would have to take care of them. And the truth is, the typical American finds poverty unseemly. You know, they don't want it near them. And so when you start bringing refugees here, suddenly the, you know, good, God-fearing people of these small communities are confronted with the reality of war and the consequences of war and what has happened to these people and the kind of incredible poverty that we've created, you know? And they have to actually see it. And that's uncomfortable because even if you have your head so far up your ass that you like bombs and think that they're the right way to solve this problem, you cannot look another human being in the eyes and see their suffering and feel nothing. I don't know. We've got a big project set up that I think is working really well at accomplishing exactly that. Here, here's the next Call of Duty franchise game. Rachel, what you don't understand is that people are like, the local HOAs are like, look, we already covered all the benches in tax. You can't sleep on those, you know? Like, how how are we right. supposed to, we already did the things where like, you know, where we'd normally put you in this little corner over here is, is we decided to, to make it a, you know, we call it a community garden now or something, you know, like <laughs> which is just, just for rich people in the community to use. Well, it would be cruel of us to ask you to sleep in this storage complex that we've built in place of everything we've bought and torn down in the infill areas in your local community mm-hmm. because we're waiting to anyway real estate's got a real horrible thing going on keep an eye on that folks it might pop by the time the episode comes out god Ugh. that'd be interesting anyway Ugh. Fun fact, uh, I'm going to interject about community gardens because you talked about my babies. In Stone Mountain, there is a community garden that is in the middle of a food desert. It has produced over 13,000 pounds of food for the community, specifically given for free to the food pantries. Community gardens can be awesome. No, they can. You're right. I'm, I was not shitting on the idea of community gardens. <laughs> yeah. I know they're kind of a fucking uh, flashpoint in the left recently, but... Oh, I like I community gardens. Them. Yeah, I think we're getting into like a no true mm. community gardens fan or uh, fallacy here. You know. Okay, again, again, you can just say art activation or your Van Gogh fuck yourself experience or whatever the person uh-huh. that bought the big building is doing to the building to hold and make a little revenue, and so they can get slightly better financing by approving the perception of the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. It's a very clean machine. They're very good at it. Anyway, we've got a yes. lot of them set well, up. Well, I mean, they're like right disappearing now. these people, right? That's that's how they yeah. get away with it. Like they can just make them go away to kind of segue you remember the episode where i forget if it was chakotay or Riker got captured by that like group of people who were at war and like brainwashed him yeah i remember that episode mm-hmm. oh, and they yeah. made him watch you know this like brainwashing where these people he had come to care about and love were just murdered you know it's brutally a training of, video yeah brutally in front of him and it's yeah exactly that's what i'm saying it's like they now you love implanted in his brain yeah but i think it's like it captures something i also want to bring up about this you know pull out of afghanistan which is you can't kill somebody's family into them being okay with you like there's no number of somebody's family members that you can kill well they'll be like you know what you're right we should just try to get along I mean, how well yeah. has any pullout ever gone, really? Hey, oh, um, they're always dangerous. It's always a dangerous method, no matter what. The most how you dangerous do it. game is a pullout game. I'm known to say. Look, look. Either it lasts for years, or it's messy. <laughs> it's uh, no, no. It's both. We're doing both. We are. We have achieved the impossible. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't come back from that one. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's talk about Enterprise. When the Zindi literally do 9-11, because this whole thing is exactly a catastrophe. It happened on o- October 7th, or 5th, I'm sorry, 5th. But yeah, like well, the building was not even not on fire anymore. But this is absolutely, let's get them for 9-11. And it's like, why? Is that like, what the, I don't know. That seems like a reasonable enough place to talk it off from and let, start from. And like in Enterprise, Earth responds, eh, not that. I mean, like, yeah, they started a dumb war, but it's actually against someone. And is this 
system just at, like is Rod and Co smoothing over the problem area, or did they deal with that reasonably well, or do we not have enough subject matter expertise? Wasn't that made like right? Like was an enterprise? Yeah, that's shortly... super contemporaneous. Yeah, like that's like that it year. Was, yeah. it was right. Later. It was it was like just a few years after nine eleven. So it's just like pure like power fantasy of like I want to yeah. do mm-hmm. the wars that we're doing now, but like I want to do them in the proper science scientist way. You know, like we're I, not a war machine. What if the U.S. military was full of nerds who like you know were polite to each other? That that would be that would make it better, right? Yeah. Let me introduce you to the defense industry. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is now, guys. Yeah. It's like yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> what it is. We sure. have Starfleet now, and it's not good. <laughs> it's not. It's Janeway not, I, did not get the stuff away from Ed Begley Jr. Well, and this is why I said Star Trek is the West Wing for communists, you know, because like we're lying to ourselves about how this would actually work. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. If you build a bomb, somebody will use it to make somebody do something. Mm-hmm. That is why you don't build the bomb in the first place. Ah, oh, but if one had such a lot, oh no, I have to wheelchair myself away. Mm. <laughs> so, do you remember the the episode, at, Paul? I don't know, maybe if I'm skipping ahead too far, but I was looking at the uh, episode from Deep Space Nine, Broken Link. The, the one where the Federation effectively uses... The what Odo wouldn't as... the Federation do? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The one where they, they effectively um, do a genocide on Odo by introducing a biological warfare component. You know, if that sounds like something that's maybe a little out of the box for Starfleet, allow me to relay to you a tweet from just a few days ago where some jackass on Twitter said, can we send the MAGA-waving wearing un?" unvaccinated to Afghanistan. Ostensibly, this is a person who's on our side. I'm using air quotes. We believe the same things. We fundamentally what? have, we want the same, we have the same values. Wait, 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 wait. This, this is a person who's, who is against Trump supporters and against people who are unvaccinated, who's saying, can we send the MAGA wearing unvaxxed to Afghanistan? No use sending the plane back empty. And then that was retweeted by General Michael Hayden, Michael also Hayden. known as four-star general, also known as former NSA director also known as former cia director who said good idea you know no big deal here just a former nsa and cia director advocating biological warfare and genocide yeah i don't Mm -hmm. think you look at that storyline that happened in the you know the deep space nine arc you know i don't think that we can kid ourselves at all that starfleet is both capable and fully willing to engage in the same kind of horrible tactics that we see playing out in our society today and so no i i think I'm going to tie this back to our central premise. I do not think it's possible for us to have a war so bad that we don't ever do war anymore, because I think we're always going to find ways to justify it, because that's just, it's in our nature. We called World War One the war to end all wars, and we did it again a couple decades later. Boiler alert for those who have not seen the ending of World War One or oh, heard sorry. that there were several sequels. Shit. Uh, we get yelled spoilers. at sometimes about spoiler stuff, so it's important to get that. I'm sorry, you guys. Yeah, we didn't call it World War One because we didn't know there was going to be a two then. We were like, this is the war. So many millions and millions of people died. Whole cities leveled. There's no way we're going to do this again. And like, you know, fucking. Uh, well, let's back up. They, they were right. We basically 
basically turned it into it was learning how to outsource this right like so colonial mm -hmm. project is driven by the east india company we're a money-making adventure we're going out we're doing stuff okay now everyone's got the game board locked up you do world war one where you turn all those weapons on each other and you realize because everyone is bought has all the pieces closed off right the map is so to speak owned by these parties it's not people live there it's their like, but to their minds the map is drawn and then they realize, oh, we can't just go flag to flag anymore because we will just shred each other with these horrifying weapons we were using on what we thought weren't people. Mm -hmm. And now, and like, I mean, I don't like it dissolves into, okay, great. What comes after World War II for the United States? Korean conflict, Vietnam War. Again, like none of these were real. You weren't fighting a power of the same size. It was a sort of a general agreement once the nuclear bomb existed. Like, okay, you fight proxy wars. You fund the Mujahideen or, the, or whoever. You fund whichever party and group with your giant slush money. Also a great TOS episode about that. Go on. Uh, what's what's the name of the episode where they it's one of the first episodes with the Klingons where Kirk has to they're on a planet and he finds out that there's one guy who's made an alliance the indigenous folks have made an alliance with the Klingons and they get killed off and then the Kirk ends the episode just being like well we have to do a proxy war and they just put the, him and the Klingons both just have plausible deniability and they're just funding it's one of the most endings of the most depressing episodes I've ever I've seen in Star Trek because it's just Kirk being like, yeah, these people are going to be at war forever. Normally they tie it up in a neat little bow when, when Kirk does a couple hammer punches, has a speech about how you need to come together or something, or kills off the evil guy, and then you're good. But this one, he's just like, no, we're going to do Nam, all right? Let's let's make it happen. Yeah. Forget I the name that. of that one. It's a very good one. I don't remember that either, but it's, yeah, I remember that episode though. You know, I mean, I feel like that would some of a, like, is that advocacy? What are we doing? I mean, right. Well, that was contemporaneous then. Problem. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Like that was, I mean, it's so funny too. I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but like how Roddenberry just like, or like the, the fucking execs are totally clueless that like the Klingons are a stand in for the Soviet Union. Like, and they have these very, like literal things about proxy wars that are going on between our people, the good ones and the Klingons who are more warlike and bad, you know, like it, Roddenberry slips it on by. I mean, he's well. They, you put him in blackface so they don't think they're Russians, and then you have a Russian guy on the show, and that's you know this. Like I have long yeah. one of my favorite characters in the Star Trek universe is the CBS executive who says, "No, you have to make it more racist." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Quit being hip. I gotta sell soap during this. You think Wallite wants to sell soap during this? Well, I mean, it did get pretty racist. Well, like the second episode of TNG is one of the most racist things I've ever seen in my life. Like it's mm -hmm. literally just like spear chunking people, you know, like uh, that are, are like animals going to war with each other. And then uh, also they should have made the episode that uh, Harry was trying to write on Mad Men. Remember, uh, he had an episode of Star Trek that he wanted to get produced. He was very badly trying to like yeah. get yeah. someone to produce where he was just like literally <laughs> they were laughing at it because the alien race that he wanted to create was called the Negron. Mm -hmm. No, bud, we got it. It's a little on the, I know we're big on the face makeup, but it's too, you know, like literally on the, in the center of the face makeup. It's right. There, it's under, under a lot of ridge area. You know what I mean? No, yeah. get out. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's funny because they laugh at him in the episode about that. Like, this is awful, but I'm like, some of the episodes of Star Trek are, it's are close. That bad. They're yeah. that bad. Let me, let me ask you this since it came up again. So oh. you put people in blackface and TOS and that's not so good. No, but it's not. That is the decided position of this podcast that that's bad. Why is it better when you put people in blackface and then put silly putty on top of it? 
Right. Yeah, right? Like, oh, you're still painting them orange. Look, yep. it's Christopher Lloyd's only crime mm. so far that we know of. I don't want the answer <laughs> to that one. Right. I'm happier not knowing, you know? Don't, yeah, don't look for the skeletons in that closet. I mean, I would say like the silly, it is weird how like there's, there's straight up laziness that's like happens in TNG where it's like, what if they want, like, what if they just wore like a weird earring and they had a little bit of silly putty and they like just uh, had some like little dashes in their nose, you know, mm -hmm. but then they go like, what if a guy had a vagina on his forehead, you know, and then it's like also like, yeah, let's make all the black people into like a bunch of like ridges and stuff. Let's make them like look almost like animals, you know, uh, there's some this weird shit a going on. string that comes over his mouth and we don't talk about but how listen the thing is that's still an improvement from the space abraham lincoln episode nothing <laughs> is be better than that episode that is my all-time favorite episode does of it the harm you to series. return my greeting just magnificent like and i mean that's the thing it's like ah uh, because our culture defaults to racism right like they ran out of ideas and came up with racist ass space abraham lincoln like though tng does does very specifically explain why everyone is humanoid Right? Like, yes, they like do. That is incorporated oh, into yeah. canon, and we shouldn't forget. You're mm -hmm. right. Yeah, they discovered the origin of all life. Well, no, it doesn't explain the origin of all life. It explains one species that genetically that dominated and destroyed everyone else and then seeded the universe with itself. It might be assholes. They don't actually go into that very much. They're like, oh, it was y'all. And they're like, oh, all of our species are from you. And they're like, yeah. You want to ever wonder why that is? Like, no, we're going to uncritically move forward. Bye. <laughs> I love it when TNG does some like fucking straight up universe altering shit and then just moves on to like next week. It's like, is Picard going to get laid on Rise of Seven or whatever? Right. <laughs> Picard <laughs> finds out the hard way that he does not want Mahajaron. No one was supposed to watch this show this deeply, though. Like, right. you were supposed to see it once, maybe, and then catch it in syndication in a couple of years. And this episode just explains why there's actors. Right? <laughs> right? Like, right. here's why they're all actors we cast in the TV show. Okay? Mm -hmm. But, right. that is, you know, the balance of unpacking these is the fun of the thing. But, like... It does become, like, just to talk about a little bit, like, why I love Star Trek is because, and TNG is my favorite, now, like, now. I used to be a TOS guy because, and I was just like, oh, Himbo it's just Kirk has won us over. Uh, a previous guest has also spoken very, Himbo Kirk is way better than, than uh, yeah, Virgin Picard. Well, I see, I'm converted, though. I'm a Picard guy now because, like, originally I loved Kirk because it was campy. It was, like, him, yeah, hammer punches and, like, your fucking <laughs> giant lizard men when you can see the zipper on the back of the suit and shit. Like, that's fun. Making out with space ladies. He doesn't know what hole that yes, is. Yes, green belly dancer ladies. Like, and my dad has, has had me watch this when I'm, like, seven years old. And I'm, like, yep. I feel tingly. What's happening? You know? Like, I, I don't know what's going on here. Um, but Am then, I horny like, for space? That's that's how I felt when my dad played gangster rap. There you go. <laughs> but like when I watched TNG, I had, a, I had a nerdy buddy who was like, no, we got to watch TNG. Like when we would, you know, we'd come home from the bar, we'd be straight hammered. He'd be like, I'm putting on Star Trek. And I'd be like, dude, you're killing the vibe. But like then I started Star Trek to love never it. Kills the vibe. Right. I started to love it because there's like these amazing, like incredible, like human moments that you see between the characters, like the individual members of the crew, like where I can laugh. The whole, I can make fun of the episode the whole time about like how dumb the makeup is or like how it doesn't make any sense. Like in the canon that this race is fighting this one or something. I'm confused as to what's happening like at all. But then like you have Picard say some shit to Data about like, you know, to, to err is human, you know, like like to fail is 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 not 
It, it, oh, no, no, I got you. It's um, it is possible to make no mistakes and still lose. Yes, yes, that's not, and that's not like that's human. He just finds it as that, and I'm just like floored. I got to sit down and think about that. Yeah, Star Trek is serious, you know. Like, like if you just want to laugh at costumes, watch Power Rangers. Right. Damn, Grab's <laughs> gonna come fight you. No, <laughs> no, Grab is fully aware of how much costumes there are. They, we have agreed that Star Trek is a Sentai. You have people okay. at consoles with sparks. You have pastel uniforms. You have yeah. aliens. You have vague differences and disparities in power level and technology to suit your episode length needs. You know, that makes sense. You know, that's why the shows get a log. We have I'm a handing time. it to you, Grav. <laughs> no, Gra- Yo, listeners, you'll know what Grav thinks soon because his episode comes out eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dick, please go hunt. No, I was going to say, too, that like you brought up like racist space Abraham Lincoln. Um, we just call him space Abraham Lincoln. He's regular. Abraham Lincoln was probably also kind of racist. Oh, right? he was. He was. Yeah. He was very he was very racist. He def- definitely yeah, I don't was. think that it needs to be explained that Abraham Lincoln in space is racist. You can just infer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Abraham Lincoln. Like the one you've heard of. But it's fair space. enough. Redundant. They they brought him back from like what canonically would have been like 700 years ago by then. Mm-hmm. Jeez, um, we don't call him that anymore, Abe. But like, really, though, <laughs> literally just kicks the door open. And no, calls they're allowed to say it, Abe. Slur. I don't know how to explain this again. Like the first, he's just so surprised that this slur is so friendly. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But some of my favorite episodes of TOS are like when they're like, "Oh shit, we got this the old West set available again. Why don't mm-hmm. we just go to a planet where they just live like cowboys?" You know. Uh-huh. Oh, Liberace's on set. Let's get him a piano and like a little room to prance around in. And yes. he's fantastic in that. Yes. And let's, and Kirk is chomping at the bit to be like, I want to be a Chicago gangster. Like, let me do the transatlantic accent over here. You know, like he is just dying to get in a fucking zoot suit and put on a fedora and just Tommy gun his way across the whole episode. It's so awesome. And then also don't forget, what if Hitler different? What if space Hitler? Yep. What if space yep. Nazis? Like, we talk about yeah. that all the time. Like, like Star Trek has this bizarre obsession with Nazis, and and Paul's made the very valid point that you just did. That like, yeah, they're taking advantage of the sets and the costumes that they have at their disposal, but they continue to go back to that theme. Like, even when that isn't a convenient excuse, like when they did a whole like multiple episode story arc around it in Enterprise. And Spock doesn't have to say they're really efficient, right? Right. They're bad <laughs> at know? stuff. They're super bad at shit, but everything but killing people. Mostly, th- sometimes yeah. through ineptitude, mostly through murder, so, but mo- a lot of both. Yeah, Star Trek is on record saying at least the trains ran on time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Spock yeah. says it, which is fucking yeah. weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, Spock so. is their coded Jew, right? So he can say it because he's the Jew. That's why they put it on him, right? Like. Probably. Well, otherwise, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird coming out of the blonde guy. I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah, right. But I mean, the funny thing is, you know, both of them are Jewish. Bill Shatner and um, Leonard Nimoy were both, in fact, Jewish, as was Roddenberry. I was going to say um, about like the, the Nazi episode with Spock. Yeah, I think you're right. He is a stand in for, for a Jew because like yeah. they make him. This hate is him. literally a Jewish hand signal. The the live long and prosper Vulcan hand is literally a thing from like Jewish faith. Like, Is it really? Yeah. Not cool. Oh, God damn it. Why is that not become? Why has no one told any like yelled at everyone about this? Probably. I don't like, know. Oh, because the Jews cool. are a very small minority of people and everybody is too busy assuming that we're rich to realize that we even have a culture. Okay, but I i mean, this is one that I, this one comes up a lot. It's like, hey, here's a couple of hand gestures not to do. That one, this could be one. Well, I mean, could, I think yeah. it's because, like, one, again, there's not enough of us to defend ourselves. We're less than 1% of the world's population. Sure, it's because of the other hand gesture. I, I, and yeah. two, it's because, like, 
he did it as a Jew. Like it was his to give, you know. Like yeah. no, no. I'm ha- I mean, look, I'm I'm not mad at it. I'm just like, yeah. oh, I want, I like to be brought by attention. Hey, like that expression's weird, Paul. I'm like, oh shit, I should have looked it up. It's in English. You're right. It's probably racist. I am completely comfortable with anybody doing the Vulcan hand gesture because I think it captures like the spirit of the Jewish faith, which is to like help and be supportive of the people around you and leave the world better than it was. So. Next, you're going to tell me about the Ashkenazi nerve pinch or something, Rachel. I wish. <laughs> that's a fucking secret. That's actually that's, a Sephardian thing. <laughs> Sephardian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to learn. That sounds sick. See, this is why, like, I've... Uh, Good I news tell... for you about my ethnicity, then. <laughs> I tell my my wife all the time, like, I want to convert to Judaism because they have the coolest shit, like the nerve pinch, Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to my first Jewish wedding soon, and I'm super stoked about getting to do, like, the Havanagila and the chair dance. The yelling at the dinner table is normal, and it's okay, and everyone is having fun. I'm Italian. Come on. Okay, then you get it already. I've loved Jewish culture most of my life, and it's because it started with the music, frankly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a musician, I I became like immediately like fucking zoomed in on that shit because it's fantastic. I'd say I'm an honorary Jew too because I get mistaken for Jewish all the time. Right. uh, Yeah. But my mother always says it's it's like you have a Roman nose. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, because like Italy and the part of the world Jews are from are pretty close to each other. Actually, we were like, yeah, like people don't realize how close all of the Mediterranean countries are to each other physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like these giant epic struggles, but it's really like neighborhood pissing matches. Literally. Like, oh. <laughs> right? The Greeks and the Italians fighting. Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. yeah they paddle yeah. some boats over at each other and throw stuff. It's <laughs> fine. Like, they go home. Have a They're like yelling at each other. Italians and Greeks calling each other greasy. It's like, mm, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speaking of that. All right, here we go. Great segue. O'Brien still calls them Cardies. That's fucked up, right? Oh, shit. Yeah, oh, yeah. Fuck. O'Brien fought in the Cardassian Wars, I mean, and like was it? A, he call, he does not call them spoonheads. That is the words Bajorans use for him. Well, I don't know if he does or not, but he definitely calls them Cardies without real remorse. Like that seems more of like a right. what's well, shorter. It seems a better in the trenches term than like having yeah. a spoonhead this long. A cardi, yeah, that was bloody cardi. Literally, say actually. someone's all right for a bloody well, cardi at one point. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, well, and and Derek uh, points out that this is like kind of not cool of him to say, but he's also like <laughs> I. Do come from a species of war criminals like by, by apparently design i don't know, you know i'm gonna go make suits it's kind of like when i'm on twitter immediately after israel has yet again genocided the palestinian people in some really obvious way and people start getting a little anti-semitic and i'm like you know what i'm just gonna let y'all get away with it this time because <laughs> like you just kind of sometimes certain members act badly enough on a large enough scale that it's like i'm not gonna bother picking this fight you know yeah, I just jumped ship on white men. I was too embarrassed. Bless. <laughs> the problem is, like, I, I clock as Jewish. I can't put it down, you know? I could get a nose job and change my name, right? And start straightening my hair again. But, like, people, if they know what Jews look like, will clock me immediately as Jewish. Yeah, so, y'all, something, like, I, I do landscaping for part of my money, and, like, something that's become really uncomfortable for me is I'm pretty sure we're getting jobs because certain rich people don't want to hire brown people. And it's Duh. super uncomfortable. That's a super <laughs> regular part of I mean, like, I don't wow. know, you know, that's yeah. that's a restaurant's thing too though. Like Yeah, back of house, front of house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, you get the Italian waiter and it's all made by Hispanic folks in the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So it's just like me and this other chick, but like we look white. <laughs> 
Yeah, they, they want to they want to be able to be like. You remember when like was it Mitt Romney got called out because he was like doing some build the wall shit when he was running in 2012, and they were like, "You literally have like illegals mowing your lawn," and he was <laughs> like, "Oh well, I didn't, I didn't know, you know." And so now like everyone who has like a Trump 2020 bumper sticker is gonna be like, "Well, I gotta make sure that Americans are getting the job are getting the job," so I'm not a hypocrite, I bet, you know. Yeah, but some they of literally them own, here. own Honda CRXs and have Biden Harris stickers on them. No, they they literally don't care. They literally don't care if they're if they're hypocrites about it. Like they know that Trump's merch is all made in in Mexico yeah, and China. True. They don't they don't give a shit about that. And Trump also like not only like personally employed undocumented people, but he also like rigged a, the visa process to like import a bunch of workers for his freaking resort while he yeah. was president and they still didn't give a shit. So, you know. Well, and ultimately any one person's this is a, a one of many collective action problems that any one individual's conduct cannot fix unless you are one of like 600 people whose names we all know and then another 2,000 or so people who publish their names in a magazine every year. I don't know. Jean-Luc Picard seems to do a pretty good job of fixing things single-handedly. Hey, look, uh, I'm, look I'm... all you need is one great white man. Exactly. You need a French <laughs> white man who speaks with a York accent for some reason. Well, you know, once the transporters made it easy to go from the two places, like immediately, it just sort of all the accents got blended together, you know. <laughs> right, right. That is, I love the episode too, where he goes back. I've never, I haven't watched the new Picard. Get to college show. on England planet. Yeah, Duh. yeah. Planet England. <laughs> <laughs> when he goes back to his vineyard though and he gets in like a fist fight with his brother after he gets turned into yeah. a borg and shit all, oh god when he's like they turned me into a monster you know, yeah there's like, a oh. there's a few good episodes on this topic yeah yeah let's talk let's talk about that for a second because yeah. actually like one thing that star trek does not do a really good job with there is one example where they do a better job and it's not this one but they don't do a good job unpacking uh ptsd and how trauma is processed like picard got literally like turned into a borg and was responsible for that like massive amounts of death at wolf 359 and then he literally just goes to his vineyard and cries and like has a fight with his brother and then he's fine mm -hmm. and that's it he canonically <laughs> remembers this entire process like he says out loud i remember the whole thing you're like what the shit dude no that's yeah good. yeah breakthroughs do not work like that i'm sorry right like, i've been in therapy for a while now like ds9 does a better job in general dealing with themes of ptsd nog comes to mind they they actually dedicate a few episodes to his recovery from his serious injury but it's not just nog like they they also deal with garrick and his trauma that's associated with his claustrophobia from his abuse as a child and they also deal with kira and all the, the baggage that she carries around from the cardassian occupation and the work that she did as a resistance fighter there so they they actually do a lot more work in the trauma space in ds9 i still think they don't quite get it right but i appreciate the effort there i mean it's tough to portray well in a fun show right it, well it, well i mean ds9 it, was more serious very than very true most no, of the no, other no. do you mean yeah. to tell me that a hollywood writer's room might have a lack of perspective about trauma 
Yeah, that right. is kind of a lot of this. Which was one of the things that we talked about last week and something that I wouldn't mind us like getting back into while you're here, Dick, is is just talking about how long-lasting and compounding these traumas are, not only for the people who went to war or worked in war, but the people who we brought war to their country and how we need to be prepared to confront that. And that's like, at least when Nog had his his trauma and Jake Sisko also had a situation where he was caught in the middle of a battle and had a like a trauma response to it, at least they had like universal health care and comprehensive mental health services to go back to. But most of us don't have that. <laughs> no, I mean, what I will say is that like, so I haven't watched DS9. So you're, you guys got a, a, a oh a I'm sorry oh, wow okay so um the gem and dark come from there let's go with it it's a truck stop on the edge of the universe right by the edge of the delta quadrant by a wormhole right that's the thing on the cover it goes to somewhere far away where there's new shit that you haven't seen before for them to make the TV show about yeah of course but then depending on the season it's also like the forward base for like a freaking frontier war. war. Yep, yep. There's another yep. species over there that's the founders. They're made of shapeshifters. They have the Vorta, which are the administrative Pete Buttigieg species, which they Hell genetically yeah. engineer. And also the Jem'Hadar, the uh, genetically engineered, chemically addicted soldiers that came up earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, uh, so it does a lot of war stuff. It's one of the more Marxist series until Lower Decks. And this episode takes place deep in the Dominion War, which is them fighting those guys, the Cardassians, who are the space Nazis, and the Bajorans, yes. who are roughly speaking space Jews. Ensign Roe, you will remember from uh, TNG yes, is a yeah. primary and wonderful representation, at least of some, in some ways of the way that... I don't they, know, though. Is, like, sometimes Bajorans well, maybe are not great. Wait, 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 wait. I'm getting, I'm getting to the whole... I'm getting to the end of the thing. It was real fast. Um, and this episode dude, that Corey is talking about is where... I'm sorry, the Ferengi who own a bar on the thing, there is a child, one of whom is the Marks guy, and the other one is short. He joins Starfleet, goes to war, loses a fucking leg, and then they come back and, like, do that as a team. TV show and their holodeck Dean Martin helps coax him back to help and do therapy. Sorry, I had to do DS9. It took about it took 45 seconds to a minute. I would like to please for someone else to talk. Uh, they're not space Jews. They're much more actually like, I would say, uh, like space Bosnians. Thank you. Space That's French helpful. resistance. Mm. Sure, mm. but you get, okay, but post mm-hmm. post uh, occupation situation. Maybe space Armenians. Yeah, if the Cardi, if the, it, sorry, sorry, excuse me, I almost used a slur there. If if the Cardassians are space Nazis. Filthy Cardis. Are the Cardassians. Yeah. Can I tell you, honestly, I have never heard the word Cardassian in my adult life and not thought of Kim. Right. Which is amazing <laughs> because they are both very, very strange species with weird necklines and they drink very <laughs> thick green liquor. And Armenia. But it makes sense because the Bajorans are all about like, you know, they have that whole like all those collaborator side stories and. Well, yeah, no, this is an occupation. So that's a good. And it's, it's an amazing. You should watch it. Yeah. Because it has a lot of occupation stories, and because I'm familiar with a lot of the lore that's behind DS9, but I've just never watched it because I've like played some of the, oh, the games. And gods like... in the wormhole, and the captain is the space Jesus for them. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I always thought that I always thought the Cardassians and the Bajorans thing was like an Israel Palestine thing. It yes. No, because the thing about the Israel-Palestine thing is Israel is a puppet state, and the Cardassians weren't really doing puppet states. They were just doing occupation. Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's much more similar to what the USA did in Afghanistan than what the Israel was doing in Palestine. (laughs) 
you know, you put it that way, and actually, it's an yeah. economic and cultural occupation. Yeah, it is about it is about Cardassian yeah. superiority and resource extraction, and like has like war bride plots and a lot of like energy. Like, yeah, people losing their dads. It. Fart. Yeah, they are yeah. In fact space Afghani's. Well, we only had to come to the end of this series to know that that series was a prequel. If, if I can answer Corey's question, though, it was about so, yeah, like, please, yeah. Start, like yeah, the dealing with that kind of mm. yeah about like the 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 trauma shit that like the way the show deals with it. The reason I remember I remember that episode of TNG with Picard, like yeah, just getting like mud wrestling with his brother in a vineyard in order to to heal his trauma, you know, and one after one sunny afternoon in France was because like the basic resolution of his trauma is. I'm going to go back and do more of the, I'm going to administer more of the war. And I will say that is what a lot of people do. Like it's actually sure. more real. Like it's, it's right. But for the, not for the reasons it thinks it is, you know what I mean? Like the show, like the show doesn't yeah. realize that's what they're doing. But I had dudes literally tell me like when I was, uh, yeah. when I joined in 06 and I got deployed in 2010, I mean, we we're well into the war, right? So like a bunch of dudes that were in charge of me had been like me six, seven years prior joined when they were 18 or 21 and then had multiple deployments under their belt and they were all just deeply broken men like mm -hmm. fucked up beyond all repair on the head and not yeah. dealing with any of it and they would literally some of them the ones who were introspective enough to dig below the first layer would be like well i'm probably never going to get out because i don't want to deal with this shit like I, this is a distraction yeah. for me i'll just keep doing it institutionalization and in that way yeah so I, I, I hear that 100% and I agree. There are actually so many who got out of the service, who had combat deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan, got out of the service and immediately came back as contractors. Immediately. Because it's what was familiar. It was the yep. easiest way for them to try to make some kind of transition. It just, it felt like a way to continue on that track. And I even had like one of my closest friends that I worked with in Iraq was a Marine sniper for 20 years. And and, you know, he got out of the service. He was in the first Iraq war, but he got out of the service before, you know, the invasion of uh, Afghanistan or Iraq. And he came over as a contractor and he had serious PTSD, but told me all the time that he was so grateful that he got to come back as a contractor because he didn't feel like he knew how to do anything other than pull a trigger until he learned how to do. He did security work, but it was like the, the kind of security work they did was not like with the, the armed like guards most as you know most of the contractors there were not armed and and his was just like providing security for the organization not armed in any way but just being able to like apply that skill set in a way that allowed him to continue to feel normal in his own space i mean like and so that's my point about about why i think like there was a missed opportunity with TNG with Picard because Patrick Stewart is such an amazing actor that they certainly could have revisited that storyline multiple times. There's other trauma that he experienced. Remember when he was like held prisoner and tortured by that Cardassian, you know, and yeah, and, and there nights. again, like and and then again he sits down with Counselor Troy and they have a chat about it and then you know it's over, it's done. Like he, this man has experienced major trauma on multiple occasions and it only ever came up in those few episodes episodes when it could have been like a thing that pinged you know here and there and Patrick Stewart could have made just with a few lines could have just made mountains out of it it was a missed opportunity like he does with some trash that he's given he does make mountains out of some of them but you're right like the, the way that he could have probably brought that back in would have been mm -hmm. awesome what I will say too though is that like exploring themes of trauma in Star Trek is like you know that's when like it's still an uncomfortable topic my complaint now is that every fucking thing in the world is about trauma now and it all sucks yeah <laughs> I was about to say well in their defense the Sopranos hadn't happened yet 
this was supposed to be aspirational. Yeah, that was why you came here. Because like, oh, people are at least talking about it instead of just doing the shitty thing because that's what we do. Like, why we love the show because even if it misses, it's at least aiming. Yeah, and Picard's character is like the consummate patriarch, right? And in that sort of cultural framing, they're not allowed to have pain or express pain because it's weakness and they can't be weak. Yeah, this actually gets at the kind of like rotten shit lib heart of Star Trek. Like transformation is real you can roll around in the mud and be healed and like i mean who better to see this this like slow dawning realization of the the west wing for commies nature of star trek look at kira's arc you know from a freedom fighter to a hand-wringing shitlib like straight up Mm -hmm. and that they sort of framed it as like character growth and improvement you know that she had somehow bettered herself by learning how to concede yeah, I'm more mature yeah. because I'm more more willing mm. to be compromised now. Like, why don't mm-hmm. you just drop off some fucking replicators and we'll get it started? But, you know, yeah. on the bright side, when they pull out a Bajor, she'll only have to wait three or four years to get out instead of never getting out. So, yeah, you get you are subsumed by the institutions that the show is built around. Like the mm-hmm. the main character of the show is is the idea and ideals of Starfleet, of which every episode is about ignoring the prime directive and guiding principle of the entire the entire institution, and then dealing with the effects of it. Like uh, you're super big on the selective violation of the prime directive, your big rule, and or its its application generally. Yeah. Like, oh, who who all did y'all doom to live like Morlocks and Eloy? Because like, well, they can't stop killing each other. Better not help anybody. Right? Like, why do you think that? Why do you fucking shut up? I mean, I hate y'all. Like, I mean, yeah, there are some points to be said about <laughs> don't show up and be a god. But like, surely y'all could make a sign. Star Trek is shit lib. Space the rich. Donate to our Patreon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't really have a good game for this one because I wasn't really sure the direction it was going to go because last time it got a little heavy because we're talking about actual war and horrible brutality and things that have touched every part of every one of our lives, whether we went or not for the last 20 years because it's the world we live in is being shaped by these forces. Usually Rachel does the sincere thing. So I um wieners i don't know wieners with ridges on it oh i have one i have one i have one here we go here we go rachel i just want to thank you so much for bringing the dick today yeah (laughs) hey you know it's it's not a look it's a lifestyle always erect lifestyle (laughs) yeah when you think about it the game was trying to figure out which ethnicity brutalized by white people the bajorans were I, I mean, that is the best game, but I have, in mm-hmm. fact, come up with something. There is no more fun game than specifically pontificating about people's hypothetical ethnicities. <laughs> oh, I thought, you know, let's, we're going to leave on something grosser than that, because that's the way you got to cleanse the palate of this high. I'm amazed you can find shit. something worse than this. No, no, no. All right, so data, fully functional every way. What do you do? What's your uh, what, like body thing? Do you like, would you like as an android be like, hey, definitely like do this? Snot rockets is my guy. It's like, like you put one nostril, you close one nostril, and I just, and, some, and it comes out, and you do that onto the ground. It's a Important. thing. It's a lost art in the last year and a half, I promise. But it's gross, and I admit that. But there's, I know old Southern ladies that do it. It's the way you fucking get stuff out of your goddamn nose. It feels so good. And as an, if I were an android, I would, like, put dust up there so I could blast it out of my nose. So, important question. Does it also dispense salsa? It could. I can put anything up there. It won't make the right consistency, though. Like, I mean, yeah, put yeah. the replicator in the dick. Why not? 
See? Whoa. Oh, see? Boom. Boom. Why not? Nice. Would Data let me step on his dick? Oh, fuck yeah. yeah Absolutely. Just, hey, yes. Of course he would. Catch it and put it on the ground so it would be more convenient. Well, he would do it to experience the inconvenience of, of humanity or something. Some some like excuse right? like that. The, the <laughs> needs of the mommy outweigh the needs of the few. <laughs> All right. That's as good a place to any of the rap this game up. Uh, let's, uh, let's do plugs and good nights. <laughs> I'm Paul Byron. I'm uh, at hashtag subtext on Twitter. I'm on other shit. You've listened to this show because you've heard of me, but check those things out. Rachel. I'm going to do my spiel. Y'all ready for it? You can find us at Gay Space Cast on Twitter. You can find our network at NSF Wonks. That is the flagship show, Not Safe for Wonks. You can find all of our streaming content at Not Safe Media on YouTube. You can find all kinds of other things under NotSafeMedia.com. And if you want to find me specifically, you can find me at Punished Rachel K on Twitter and Reach Rachel Con everywhere else. Dick, what you got? Uh, Twitch.tv slash Left Flank Vets. We stream about every day. Me and uh, three of my my comrades. So it's not just me being like, what if a shit could fard all day? You know, you have like uh, Marcus who talks electoralism. You got Erica. What uh, if a vote could fard? All right. Yeah, yeah. What if, have you tried farting instead of voting? Yeah, that's that's my contribution to most of the things that we do. Um, I mean, frankly, farting would probably be more useful in voting in a presidential election. Right? Yeah, let's try fart ends. Yeah, let's crop dust the voting booth. Go in, don't vote, just crop dust it, leave, see what happens. If you're a real patriot, you'll shit yourself. <laughs> Get out, shit, shit on the floor, <laughs> yell democracy. If you're a real patriot, you'll shit yourself and then just roll around on the floor. All right, we're going to come back around to you. Amy, what do you got to plug? <laughs> Okay, um, you can find me, I'm Amy Hassel, you can find me on YouTube and Twitter. I'm a Hassel on Twitter, <laughs> it's four A's and two S's. Corey? <laughs> I'm Corey Archibald, uh, you can find me on Twitter at CM Archibald, I'm pretty straightforward that way, and uh, I'm usually ranting about politics and uh, Star Trek and sometimes cats. And I'm gay. And after that palate cleanser, Dick, where, where could people actually find the things you were describing earlier that may or may not have existed? On Twitch, we stream just about every day. Twitch.tv slash leftflankvets. Uh, and then on Twitter, you can find us at leftflankvets. Very, very simple, where we where I do do a lot of shit posting on, on there. I don't have a personal Twitter anymore. I... Oh, you got yourself part of a show that has a good Twitter account. That's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I can't tweet from that account, though, because I would be in a ban evasion. So I have a guy that uh, I dictate my tweets to. He's, yeah, uh, same. Yeah, the yeah. Punish Rachel K thing, that's not actually me. And I have no idea who Hegelian versus. All right, is. let's wrap it up. Space the Rich, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on. Good night. Thank you, Dick. Thank you for having me. Good night. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Love y'all. Bye.